Hello and welcome to the Latest Science Sport Podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Ariane Farahani. So Ariane is the first team sports scientist and data analyst at Wolverhampton Wanderers, where he specializes in sport performance data. So who better today to discuss how you can improve your data visualization than Ariane? So without further ado, it's time to welcome him onto the show. So Ariane, welcome to the Science Sport Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, thanks for having me, Matt. Listen to a lot of your stuff. It's a real pleasure to be on. Oh, thank you very much, mate. It's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you uh, as a listener and a, a contributor too. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, so my name's Ariane. I'm a first team sports scientist and data analyst for Wolverhampton Wanderers. So I've been in the first team now for around two seasons. Uh, before that, I was with the under-18s in the academy. And then before that, all the internships and degrees and, and whatnot prior to that. So, yeah, that's a quick little bit of what I'm doing now and a bit of data on the side here and there. But, yeah, predominantly Wolves. Brilliant, mate. And you've got, we have, we've stolen a little bit of your time today on Transfer Deadline Day and you've got a busy day lined up as well. So before we get into all the data visualization stuff, which is super interesting, can you tell us what you do on Transfer Deadline Day? Because that's, that's, I think that's super interesting as well. Yeah, so basically it's from first thing in the morning to 11pm, you, you're waiting, you're constantly waiting, you don't know who's going to come through the door, you don't know who's leaving, um, kind of get an idea, they communicate quite well with us, so we're, constantly, we're waiting, the lads will come in, do the medicals, and then it's up to sports scientists and the performance staff to uh, do a lot of the testing in the gym, so we take a lot of strength scores, uh, feed that back to the doc and the physios to see if there's any anything we can pick up on, anything we can uh, improve moving forward. And then after that, we'll take them to do their screening, their MRI stuff. And then once we're done with them, they're completely for the media team to do what they need to do on their end. And then we look at the data, we look at the results, we see uh, if there are any asymmetries, any efficiencies, etc. Uh, send a few reports out and yeah, present our side of the of the evaluation and then move forward. So that could happen however many times during the, during the window, ins and outs. But even the players leaving, it's good to send across to the new clubs some of the data that we've had for them previously. And so it's work works both ways, really. I think that's a, that's a really interesting little insight into exactly how it works. And I think we do an entire podcast on the testing and all that kind of stuff, which you, we should do. Should be, yeah, I, I find that brilliant. But... Um, we're here to discuss data visualization. So um, obviously, as a sports scientist and someone who works with data a lot, like, can you take us through what data visualization is? Yeah, so essentially data visualization is making your data look good and getting the information across as well and as clean as possible. So most practitioners, myself included, have gone through the stage of absolutely just manually doing everything. So you get into the software, you're downloading, exporting, dropping it into an Excel file, you're using your pivot tables. And me personally, that would take me hours, hours in the day to every single data source, manually export that, clean the data, and it's an absolute nightmare. So the beauty of the visualization tools, it's, a, it's an automated process. It cleans the data for you. And once you get them dashboards built, early doors, all you have to do is when exporting the data, it can be done through manual exporting if you want to, drop it into a file or through an API key or through the cloud, which is what we do now. And it's just the hit of a refresh button and you've got your reports there. Uh, also, it stops the... I mean, you, a lot of people still do it, but sending your PDFs out, sending your reports out. I know a lot of the coaches I work with still like the 
paper on their desk, but they can also go onto the onto the cloud system, the online system themselves, and have a look at whatever visualization graphs, whatever uh, reports have made for them. So visualization is really taking all this data and communicate the message or point to these end users, making it look good, generating the buy-in, and the more buy-in you get, the more likely you are to keep using it. So you're turning the information into insights and you're prov providing the quality evidence to inform the decision-making, uh, providing a basis of evidence and retrospective predictive analysis through the data visualization as well. And yeah, you're benchmarking players longitudinally, producing the reports and basically answering as many performance questions as you can. And obviously, yeah, performance questions is quite a broad topic, but what kind of questions can you then start to answer? Because I imagine when you've got an Excel document and you go, right, okay, well, we're going to put a graph like this thing is bigger than this thing. And most people can kind of get their, their heads around that. So what kind of questions are you then able to answer? Yeah, so the questions that I would then tend to answer, which is probably the biggest strength of the, uh, of the visualization process, is taking multiple data sources and not looking at these metrics in isolation, but we're looking at them in unison. So when we're presenting these reports, uh, we're constantly looking at new ways to visualize. But when we're looking at collecting information from, a, say, a match day plus two from an athlete, we'll collect our, our valid information, our force decks, our force frame. We've got our subjective scores, our GPS loading, match data, whatever it is that we're taking from an athlete, every single bit of data, instead of having a thousand Excel tables, which has a different data source at all, very different pieces of information we can bring all this all together and have it on one dashboard. So on a match day plus two, we look in how they performed on the Saturday and how does that affect their testing performances on a match day plus two? Does that affect their subjective scores? Does that have an influence into it? So instead of looking at, look, oh, we've got an 18% um, asymmetry on his uh, adductors, we've also got quite a bit, uh, there's been a spike in his D-cells and his axles. How does that actual actually influence his testing scores? How does that compare to previous match day plus two scores maybe? So we're comparing that to an actual norm. So instead of actually looking at these in isolation, we're bringing it together to get a full, more round, full rounded picture, adding a lot more context to what we're looking at. And again, we're saving a lot of time on the actual design and we're spending a lot more time thinking about the decision making process. And why is this all important then? Because obviously you've outlined some things that you can answer, but yeah, why why should practitioners then be considering this as a as an integral part of their um, like performance plan? Yeah, so it's it's I mean it's a really good question, but again, once you start to answer these performance questions and you realise you've saved four hours in answering a question, then it's it's also a lot. More, it gives you a lot more time to actually get together with the, the end user, sit in these meetings and discuss the next stage of the plan for the player. And you, instead of waiting three days for for a bit of information or a bit of data on, a, on what to do next with a certain player, we're already in the process of of building that plan and building that report. So we're almost, we've got the predictive analysis stuff as well. So we're almost, almost predicting the injury patterns, predicting the loads moving forward for the rest of the weeks. And we can almost plan a week weeks ahead now so before we were limited to almost just acute chronic ratios and predicting where we were going but now we've got so broad and we're collecting that much information that we can almost delve a little bit deeper into that so 
if we're spiking on a ratio, on a, on a ratio, we we can say, look, he's at his high risk of injury. But now, if we're with with some of the models that we're bringing in, we can almost see what area the risk's at. So when we're looking at musculoskeletal stuff, we're looking at the weekly loadings, variances. We can almost target specific areas in the body. Obviously, it's not going to be one hundred percent every time, but we can target specific areas where they're higher at risk of, and it would take a lot more time to to, to get to that end and pattern beforehand but now we're almost saving five to six hours and we can choose we can actually choose what we want to see now so when we're creating these reports it's really easy to highlight the information and get the quality insights that we need instead of look this is these are loads of numbers that we need to look at we have to look through about a thousand different data sets instead now we've got one big red line in the middle look this is the red flag here this is what we need to look at so the other bits are fine whereas we would have look through every single one individually straight away in the data visualization we've skipped all that out and this is the bit that we need to concentrate on how does everything else influence that red line in the middle the red flags and then what can we do uh, looking at his previous data which is already in the system already in the dashboards how does that compare to his previous data when happened before even the rehab process look this is uh what this is the point it was where he was where we got injured how can we look at what did the first of the weeks beforehand get into that stage look like and how can we avoid that happening again? So because we've got all the information there, it's just bringing that to the forefront and providing the quality information to the ones making the uh, the, the decision making. I think that's an absolutely, <coughs> excuse me, an absolutely excellent example. And it's nice to, to hear how you can use that as well, right? So it's not just, oh, we're going to slap that on the desk of the coach and say, right, uh, Steve's tired this week, so uh, give him a bit of rest. It's like, well, how does that fit in the context with all the other things and like the team training and yeah, then you can have that conversation. And I love the fact that it saves you time because that's what everyone has a complete lack of. Like if you, if you're saving five hours in a week, that's mad. Like that's a, that's a crazy amount of time that you can invest in doing potentially more uh, in depth or more important things, including communicating with the coaches and the players. So um, when you, when you flip that then, What's the impact of poor data visualization? So let's say uh, your report it looks like crap and it's messy and you've not cleaned the data. Like, how does that then impact the, the decision-making process and, and what you're going to get out of your work? Yeah, so I have been quite guilty of this in the past. So when I when I first started my data, uh, data visualization process, I started learning a lot of, uh, a lot of new things and things that I thought, oh, this is going to blow, absolutely blow everyone away. This, this is really cool. So a new algorithm, a new, a new piece of information, it's going to, I'm going to make it look really cool. Um, but then we're, we're doing that. We're moving away from the simplicity that really captures people's, uh, people's attention. And as sports scientists or performance coaches, when, uh, when we're presenting these reports to the coach or, or the dark or physios, whoever it may be, we need to make sure that these reports linger and then they're last in the memory. And by by prioritizing the data visualization, making the reports look better, we increase the likelihood of it happening. If we have so much information on a page and you're trying to get a thousand points across, you lose the simplicity and the aesthetically appealing appealing visualization would just disappear. So there's three steps really that I've read previously that when I first started out that I've literally, I will take the with me. It's firstly, you need to capture the audience attention, attention. So increase the likelihood of portraying the messages you deliver. Then you need to put the attention on display. 
So when you're looking at the data, the visualization, visualization, sorry, you've approved, you've approved, appreciate the time and care that you take, you took to craft it. And then, then it's very easy to repeat that process. So once you've made, made step one, step two, it's very easy to repeat and keep that reliable, valid, et cetera. And then build trust with the buying and the brands within your team. Obviously you can have a thousand different colors and stuff like that. But when you're looking at a, a table that may be quite close in, in numbers, you're still not you're still basically doing what you're doing in Excel and you're looking at the actual numbers instead of something that st- stands out in your face. So when you're looking at improving your data visualization, for example, you, co- you need to constantly look at new ways to learn how to visualize and not get carried away, which is, which, like I said, something I've been guilty in the past. There's new information coming out constantly. And the natural instinct is to show it off. But a lot of people are used to seeing bar charts and, and, ta- and tables, and that is the best way they extract information. So when you're looking at your visualization, it's going to be completely relative. The way I've done it was I sat in as many meetings as I could. First two weeks, I sat in every single meeting just to see what they talk about, see what information they, they like to discuss and see what they're interested in. And then add the simplicity of the tables of the bar charts and then the next meeting, when they're discussing, I'm like, I've got, I've got something, something that might uh, show you a better way of showing you that information. You've got it up on the screen in front of them in the meeting, and straight away they're like, "Cool, there we go. We've got that visualized now. It's actually really simple to 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 read." And when you're in these meetings, you can talk about like topics will change day and night. That will change throughout the meeting, and it keeps us focused on the important aspects of the meeting and what on the day that we're actually that's necessary and the important bits of information so keep things simple don't move away from the simplicity and it's completely dependent on the end user and what they want and again be <laughs> so I, I love ted lasso and a really good quote was uh <laughs> was be curious and it's the same with, with your with visualization Sit in the meetings, listen to what they say, be curious on what people want to see, brainstorm it out on paper and constantly look online. There's so many showcases online and so many different people who are putting some really good stuff out there. Pinch little things, be curious about what you're seeing and apply it to your data sets and apply it to your visualizations because I promise you they will have a positive influence. I think that's absolutely <clears throat> absolutely excellent. And I really I really like the fact that you attacked it from the the viewpoint of what does that person want to to get in their system right so what's the information they want and how do they want to receive it and that's the the core of communication that's effectively what you're doing right with dashboards is communicating um, but without words and instead using pictures effectively um and to be to be able to change that round and be like like maybe i understand that amazing spider graph that's that's everywhere but actually the coach wants a bar graph with a little line on it or brilliant let's give them a bar graph with a little line on it that's also fine right yeah, yeah um, exactly. as long as the information suits that that um way of using it but um when when you're trying to do all of this obviously you, you might need some software or programs so what what can practitioners be using in order to achieve these kind of um goals obviously we mentioned excel already but there's a host of different programs out there what what's available that practitioners can use to then communicate their message yeah so Regarding data visualization, the two most effective programs that I found are Power BI and Tableau. Power BI, really historically, from what I've seen in the last couple of years, seems to be dominated more by sports scientists and Tableau with performance analysts. Um, and I've I've worked with both, so I made sure I'm skilled in both. Um, 
But whatever you're doing, make sure you're using the same one, regardless of whatever organization you're at. You don't want to be the point of data visualization and these in the clouds is to have all the data in the same place. So make sure you're saying keep the same one. The 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 strengths of Tableau from uh, for uh, Power BI, sorry, for me are the simplicity it brings. It is basically Excel on steroids. <laughs> so it's very, it is very, very similar. It's a Microsoft package, so it's very similar to Excel. You have the drag and drop function where you can, if you want a bar chart, you drag a bar chart onto your canvas and you just select whatever metrics you want to look at. So the simplicity of Tableau's, of uh, Power BI sorry, is really good. And you can also bring in different coding patterns into, into, uh, into Power BI down the line as well for your more advanced programming. And Tableau, visually really appealing and better for holding uh, larger data sets. So if you're in a large organization, um, there's a price to pay with Tableau. So for a license, you need to pay to, to maintain that. Whereas Power BI, the desktop app is completely free. So if you are starting up on data visualization and wanting to look to to do a bit there, I recommend starting off on Power BI because it's a really good, really good introduction for you. It's free and you don't have to pay for a license unless you use the online system. So you can use the desktop version, keep it on your cloud if that yeah, for the first few months so you get used to it. And then any user can have access to that. They can refresh the data as much as you want. And then online, you can move away from the the manual refreshes and that can done, be done automatically. So I'll have about five or six uh, automatic refreshes a day. So we're constantly getting the most up-to-date information. We're constantly getting live information. And the beauty of Tableau is it you can have a live format. So you don't even need to refresh. You can have a live spreadsheet. So once the second the, the data has been uploaded to the cloud or we've downloaded something, it's straight away, it's in Tableau, which is really good. Uh, visually really good it's just tableau can sometimes for a starting off can be a little bit more complicated when designing the visual uh the visual reports but it is completely relative again and depends on the on the organization and how much data you're actually dealing with um but they both have their strengths and their limitations i can imagine especially as power bi is free at least like that's a really nice way to step into it and at the moment that you then think okay we need something different and better then you can always make the step of throw if the money's there but um when you when you then bring all of this together obviously you've gone through loads of different things that you can do reasons that you should do it and and the way that it all works can you take us through a case study to bring this all together then um to to kind of discuss how you've done this before and how you've adjusted the data visualization to to get results for yeah a sport team yeah so in my field, football, uh, especially uh, in a previous job role, depending on the club, different you're gonna have different clubs with different budgets all throughout the football pyramid. You've got you, you've got the top ends, your your Manchester City's, Man United, and then you've got a lot of uh, your League One, your League Two clubs, which don't have the budget to hire four or five members of staff to constantly go through all this data and make the decisions. Um, so. When you're looking at League One, League Two clubs, I might have one or two max performance staff to deal with 30 players in the first team and then however many players in the academy. Um, so for them, it's it's efficiency of time and you want to make, you want to save as much time as possible and constantly have that information. For me, in a previous job role, when I moved in, there was data all over the place. So we had 
data on the SharePoint. We had uh, about four OneDrives. Uh, we had about 17,000 Excel documents. Um, <laughs> so it was... Uh, oh, mate. Uh, Don't tell me you had to look for all of them. <laughs> I did, I, that that was the that was the final straw for me. Um, <laughs> so, what I, what I done was I talked to as many members of staff as possible. Listen, what is important to you? What are you using on a daily basis? What are you using um, for, for in your daily process? Um, and this was through every age group in the academy. And then I created almost an, an athlete management system. But before that, I went through every single important data source brought it all together in a cloud so um we so we currently use snowflake now so snowflake's a really good um really good cloud which automates everything so we can pull everything from the cloud and we don't have to don't have to uh, export anything so we i introduced at the time it was a OneDrive as uh, i just in- introduced the OneDrive at the time which was more of a trial process before we moved on to a larger cloud-based system and then we brought everything that was important to us into the same place. So if people wanted access to it, that was there. Then that was just to start off the first few weeks. And then once people were still getting used to using the same system, that's when we expanded a bit larger. And then I created an athlete management system, which uh, was available to the entire academy. So we had different different age groups, different coaches, whoever had access to different areas with permissions, of course. So we didn't need the under 12s coaches seeing what the first team were doing for example <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah. that permissions were were granted instructed etc but all the information was in the same place which is really important and one of the main areas of conversation that was constantly brought up in meetings and a real pattern emerged was the pathway for, for an academy player and what this player should look like at 18. So we looked at previous success stories who have gone through the academy and ended up playing for a first team and gone back through their data, which is all now in the same place. So we can actually look at that uh, through our um, through our Power BI uh, management system and see why, what did this player look like when he was playing in the under-21s? What were the intensity levels in, a, in an under-21 game? What were his uh, strength scores then? But then what did it look like when he was in an under-18 and an under-16? So we looked at his, his journey, a previous success. Obviously, every single journey is relative and and it's going to be individual to that player. But we can almost look like what was successful for a specific um, player in that position. So at the time, um, Nuno Espirito Santo was the manager and all throughout the 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 Wolves system, from first into 23s to 18s to 16s, it was the same philosophy. That was to play three at the back and the same patterns of play, the same profile of player for each position. So when the player was to go through to the first team, it made us a lot made it a bit easier. Say this is what we want from a centre half, this is what we want from our wing backs. And then physically we would look to see where we can improve. Is this player strong enough? Is this player quick enough? Is he is he uh has he at the intensity required to play that position? So if They've got two years. Each player's got two years max to play in, a, in as a scholar in the under-18s. And then it's to move to the under-21s. So how do we know this player's ready to move to the under-21s? We look at the we look at the data from the under-21s. Say, look, this is the intensity the player needs to get at in a training session, in a match day, before we're comfortable of him getting there. And the reason we've got access to that information is because it's all stored in the same place. We have the under-21s data in the same place as the under-18s data. And that way we can compare players 
and almost answer these questions. Is this player ready to make the step up? When is he? When they're going down to train with the first team, for example, are we sure that he's not going to get injured? Can he deal with the intensity and the demands down there? And just because all the information's in the same place, it makes it a lot easier to give us confidence to answer them questions. I think that's, yeah, that's absolutely excellent, mate. So, Aria, massive thanks for your time and effort today. It's been a pleasure talking. Where can people find a little bit more from you and what you're up to? Yeah, thanks, Matt. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so, I'm quite quite active on LinkedIn at the minute. So, Ariane for a hand date on LinkedIn. Also, a few extra platforms. So, if you want to visit uh, www.datainsport.com, a lot of my stuff's there. So, I'm in the process of uploading a few portfolios, a few projects that I'm doing. And if you want to get in touch, you can get in touch via there or I'm free to email at arianef at datainsport.com as well, if, if needs be. And also, trying to push my socials as much as possible, um, data and sport on Instagram as well. Um, but any of them, LinkedIn, whatever whatever works best for you, happy to get in touch and discuss anything regarding performance data. Absolutely fantastic, mate. It's been a pleasure talking and I look forward to speaking again soon. Thanks again, Matt. Take care. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Aaron for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science Sport Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is an overgrowing library of sports science courses which are broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more great information from Ariane, you can get into the Coach Academy completely for free using the link in the show notes in just a few seconds time, where you can find his mini course on Power BI. And every time you complete a course, you'll get a certificate of completion, which can prove your ongoing education, which of course is fantastic, so you can prove how hard you've been working. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.